Father, we do thank you for your goodness that is on display in so many different ways to us. We thank you that in Christ we are found together and we are your children called here. And as we come to your word now, may you open it for us. May it be your spirit who would speak and guide us into truth, guide us into those areas of our own lives in which we need to respond this morning. And may we know that we have met with you. And we thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. You may have a seat. As we get together this morning, in the coming months, we are going to be asking ourselves who we are as a church family in light of uh, Dwayne's resignation. I mean, that is a change for us. He's led the church for 29 years, and we will go through some transitional moments. And as we are anticipating this interesting, and I hope an exciting journey for us as God leads us into a renewed vision for our, our fellowship, our vision, our mission together, that uh, there'll be some new faces, obviously, in the future, and we're just looking forward to all this taking place. And to help us ease into the journey, over the next three Sundays, we're going to be looking at our, uh, just the idea of what is the church? What is the church? Who are we as the church? Uh, we'll do that for three Sundays. I'll be preaching this Sunday, next Sunday. Derek's going to take the third one. We'll be looking at the idea of the upward, inward, and outward focus of the church and thinking about those foundational thoughts about who God has designed us to be. And hopefully this is going to help guide us more specifically for who we are in this place and time. Uh, just so you know, coming up after that, we are looking forward to having a Sunday schedule that we're going to be inviting a number of guest speakers to come. We've got uh, just a, a good lineup that's happening. Some you will know, some that will be new to us. Uh, we'll be doing that. I will be preaching. Derek will preach. We'll fill it in with our staff. And we're pretty well worked out through the end of May, and we'll be sharing more of those details in the coming weeks with you. And so we are settling into something new and looking forward to what God's going to be doing among us. But for the next couple of weeks, we're just going to think about what the church is and I trust that along the way we're going to realize that there are some universal themes for the church. There are kind of some really big ideas, but as we take those big ideas, we recognize that every local church has its own particular expressions of those themes. Every local church, because of its geography and its demographics and kind of the makeup of its own people, will always have its own personality and how it is going to give expression to what God has designed the church to be. And so I begin this morning just with a reminder that James North, we have expressed our mission in this way. Our mission statement simply says this, as a church anchored in the north end of Hamilton, we exist to join God as his spirit builds Christ's kingdom in our lives, neighborhoods, and city. That's just a very, in a sense, a simple mission statement, but there's a lot that gets packed into it. It recognizes that we are uniquely positioned in this geographical area. Being in the North End has defined us very much for the last 30 years, particularly. It's been very much our, our ministry focus. It's been birthed through our, our uh, unique demographics of the North End of Hamilton. And the North End has historically been one of the poorest neighbors, and so our hearts have, have reached out to this neighborhood with ministries that have sought ways that we've said it simply a number of times. We just seek to bless the North End in Jesus' name. We want to be his presence for the people that, that live around us. 
And we see that expression in a lot of our different ministries and Coffee's On and The Hub and we always have a part of our promotion always goes to the neighborhood for our youth ministry, for our children's ministries and all the things that we do. We built housing. Why? Because of our heart for the, in the midst of the gentrification of this neighborhood where the marginalized and the poor are in this housing crisis We've done what we can as a church to provide 45 apartment units, 49 people living there, and we are seeking for ways. Derek mentioned it this morning. We're seeking for ways that we can be an impact for the gospel among those people. We also recognize as leadership, and I'm sure you do as well, this neighborhood is changing. This neighborhood is going through gentrification. It's going through wealth moving into the area. Housing is becoming a huge issue and problem. And so we know that in the coming days, as we want to have still our hands on the heartbeat of this neighborhood, that we're going to have to adapt and we will discover what God has for us in, in being a church in this neighborhood. And so it's really where the rest of our mission expression comes to work. You know, we start off by saying we're anchored in the north end, but look what follows. Our existence is centered in joining God in his work. God is always at work around us. I mean, if we stop for a moment and think this is about us doing our thing, we've got it totally backwards. We want to be a people who understand what God's heart is for the people that surround us, for the people that we work with and who are our neighbors and, are, and dwell close to this physical location, that we can see where God's at work and simply join him in what he wants to accomplish. To be a part of his work and so to be sensitive to how his spirit leads us and to who he wants to create us to be in our, in our ministries and our outreach. And as you live in different parts of the city, how you have an impact in your neighborhoods in the places where you dwell and you work. We want to help you become the people of God, the disciples of God who are creating new disciples. And so as we think through all those things and even our mission statement, it's why it's important for us to kind of go back to the blueprints every once in a while. To go back to what God's word says about who we are as the church. To kind of check in with him and, and see what his original plans are. Kind of those large, those broad ideas of what church is. And then as we understand that again, we step back and consider who we are. Who we are going to be in this neighborhood. And we're going to do some exercises as a church in the coming months to help work some of that out. Tim talked about that a little bit. Part of the process in discovering and looking for a new pastor to come and lead us is for us to understand who we are and who God is creating us to be. So we're going to be doing that, and we're glad that we've got some assistance, and we're going to be asking for your help in the days ahead so that as God leads us as a people together, we can be intentional listening to his voice among us. And so we begin today just by looking at some scripture and thinking about just the, the big question, what is the church? And so as we start asking that question, what is the church? How many of you learned this little rhyme as a children? You'd put your hands together and you'd fold them like this and you'd put your point, your index fingers up. Did you learn that? If you did, put your hands together like that. Oh, I know some of you did, all right? And what would you say? Here is the what? The church. It has a tall... Open the doors, open your thumbs up, there's all the peoples, right? You learn that as a child. 
as I learned that as a kid, and then I grew up, I became much more sophisticated and theological. Right? I went to seminary. I was, I, I'm trained. And I realized that there's, there's something that we need to relearn about that little rhyme. And I, I retaught it to my kids. I remember teaching it in my church. I'm going to teach it to you. I can't remember if I did this once before. So maybe you've, you've already heard this. But we're starting off today as we ask, what is the church? So put your hands together again. All right? Fold them in. Right? Do that little fold thing. And here's how we're going to start. We're going to start saying, here is a building. You can say it after me. Here is a building. It has a tall steeple. The church is inside. The church is a people. Oh, that was wonderful. Do you think you can do it by yourself now? I'll just do the actions. You say the words, okay? So here is, it has, well, you got the you know, little confusion. You might say it may have a steeple. I was trying to make it for North End. I was trying to think, could we say it has three floors of apartments? But I couldn't do that with my fingers, all right? So it, it has a tall steeple. The church, the church is a people. What is the church? The church, is first and foremost, is a people. Right? We need to come to grips with that. that you know, this isn't rocket science. <laughs> if you've been grafted in and you've been a part of church, you understand that the life of the church is all about us. It's about the people that God has gathered together. But there's also something fundamental about that because we can lose sight of that so easily. We can lose sight of that the church is people. We can think church is program, church is ministry, church is leadership, church is a, a person who, who guides, church is all this other stuff, but it's not. Fundamentally, church is this covenant or God's covenant people who are gathered together in this, in this sense of being drawn by him because we are his people uniquely together. So it's about us gathering together, but it's also about our witness to God's created people. It's about our witness to the world. He gathers us together so that we can be for the people of this world. So I could just finish there and send you home with that, but you probably want a little more content. <laughs> right? So let's go to some scripture just to illustrate that even further. Ephesians chapters 2 to 4 are great defining passages for clarifying some ideas about the church. And I'm going to spend some time here this week and next week. And as we go there, I'm going to invite you to turn in your scriptures with me. We'll have some of this up on the screen as well to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to focus on really verses 19 to 22, but work our way there. And I'm going to read for starting at verse 11, but even before I get to that, I want to remind you how we get to verse 11, all right? So verses 1 to 10, and in the fall during our spiritual warfare, we kept going back to these passages a number of times because it defines who we are as a people. So just let me summarize verses 1 to 10. How, did we, how are we going to get to verses 11 and following? In verses 1 to 10, Paul says, "...once you were dead in your transgressions and sins." But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. 
And it's by grace you have been saved. It's the heart of what's happening in those first verses. It's the reminder of who we are in Jesus Christ. That by God's grace, through faith in him, we have been made alive with him and saved. Just an incredibly wonderful word to recognize that we are saved. We are brought out of being separated eternally from God, destined for an eternity apart from him in hell. And we are brought out of that through forgiveness of our sins and saved. And when we are saved, the passage ends by saying, and we are God's workmanship. We are God's special creation. That God, when he saves us, also is bringing us into the image of Jesus Christ. We are created in him for good works. It's who we are in our salvation. It's the gift that you have in your faith in Christ that you are then brought together with God or by God into this eternal life. So through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, you have been made alive by the Spirit. And in that gift of being alive, you are also a special workmanship. You are a special creation of God, and he's forming you for his purposes. And so when he says all that, he says, this is who I brought you to be. I brought you out of death and into life. And then Paul says, but there's more. And here's what else unfolds for us. Verses 11 to 22. I'm going to read the whole thing off the bat to just kind of get us the whole picture as we get started. Paul says, therefore, therefore, because you were dead and you have been made alive and you are God's workmanship, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Notice the work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit and all that is being unfolded there for us. Paul's just so carefully weaving all of this together. Then verse 19, he says, And consequently, because of all this, because of what God has been doing to make the two one and bringing them together and reconciling us together, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. 
And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That last phrase, I think, is a fairly concise definition of the church. The church is a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The dwelling is all of those who are in Christ by his spirit, and God dwells there. Just want to stop and appreciate that for a little bit. To understand that at the heart of who we are as a church is we are a dwelling for God Himself. That God Himself, the God of creation, the God of this universe, the God of our salvation, who has provided atonement for us through His Son, dwells with us. And in fact, not with us, we are his dwelling place. As I think about that, I, my thoughts go back to Exodus and the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt and they are wandering in the wilderness and God meets Moses on Mount Sinai. And in that terrible picture of, of God on the mountain and is unapproachable, but Moses goes and he's given the law and he's given the, the feasts and the whole priest structure. And God is saying, there's a way that you can come to me. You know, but he says, for now, stay away from the mountain. Don't even touch the mountain. But Moses, here's the plans. Here's the plans. And one of those plans was for the tabernacle. And God said, I want you to set up a tent in the midst of the camp. And here's very specific instructions for how that tabernacle is going to be set up. And the Israelites were to camp on all four sides of it. And in the middle of the camp of that great host of Israel traveling in the wilderness, in the middle of the camp was going to be this tabernacle. And you read in the very last verses of Exodus chapter 40, you read this, that then the cloud, once the tabernacle had been set up, then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And in all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out, they would follow the cloud. And it was a pillar of fire up at night, if you remember the whole tale. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. God was giving them that kind of specific direction. He was there among them. And so the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. What an incredible picture that is. Can you imagine that, being in the camp and you have the cloud there? and You know that God's presence is there with you. God's presence is there among you. But even as you read that passage, do you appreciate that though God was there and he was near, in a sense he wasn't dwelling with them. He was among them, but there was a great deal that kept him separate from them. Right? He was fearfully and reverently at arm's length from his people. Not just anyone could go and enter into the tabernacle. Not just anyone had access into that holy of holy places. In fact, it was only the high priest, and that only once a year. 
God in his glory and in his holiness said, there is a, there is a way of safe approach to me. For you're not ready for me to be face to face with all of you. And the laws and the offerings and the feasts were all made for this approach to God. And something began to happen with Israel. They had the tabernacle and they, they, they went through the, the wilderness years and then they moved into Israel and the huge goal was to build the temple so that they had this place, a permanent place, where God could come and dwell with them. But always there was this laws and feasts and the offerings so that they could have a way of approach. He was among them, but he wasn't dwelling with them. We don't really hear of dwelling until the promises that were being given all through that time that someone was coming. Someone was coming who was going to bring the law into the hearts of the people. There was a promised Messiah who would be given, who would come and make God's glory known in a new way. And in John chapter 1 and verse 14, you hear of the incarnation. In a very carefully worded passage by John, we read this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And that little word dwelling is a word that's directly related to the words for tabernacle, for tents. Some people would like to translate this, that he made or he came and tabernacled among us. Right? Jesus came and he set his tent up. He pitched his tent. And then it goes on and says, And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God, in Jesus, came and dwelt among his people. In a brand new way. As a person who walked and talked and was there present face to face with humanity. And his disciples understood his glory that was being seen and being unfolded before them. The glory of God, once restricted to tabernacle and the temple, is now on display in a person. But we know his earthly life was cut short. By plan and by purpose... He became the sacrifice for our sins. Became the sacrifice and, and no longer would dwell among us. And the disciples, do you remember in that upper room on the night before he was crucified, how they grieved as he shared with them what was going to be taking place, that he was, his life was going to be taken from them. And they were filled with grief and confusion as this reality set, set in. But Jesus promised he would not leave them. He said, I won't leave you as orphans, John chapter 14. And do you remember our Advent series? And we had a day on peace, and Dwayne took us to John chapter 16. Kind of on the day, it was kind of that unique moment of John 16 really isn't a Christmas passage. It's the night before Jesus was crucified. But that passage was about peace. Because he came as the Prince of Peace. And in John 16, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus said, it is, not, it is for your good that I am going away. Because unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. And if I, but if I go, I will send him to you. And he ends that passage by saying, and I tell you these things so that you may have peace. 
that you may have an understanding that God is drawing you to himself and you can be at peace in your own heart, but you can be at peace with God because of what is being accomplished. And so Jesus, after he is crucified and he's buried and he dies, there is a resurrection. And we can follow that account. There's resurrection and there's ascension. And then comes Pentecost and Acts. And on that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls. The Holy Spirit comes. And what's the word we use for the Holy Spirit's coming? He comes and indwells. Right? He comes and dwells in his people. And the church is born. The church is born as God's spirit for all who believe and have received the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Through his death, his burial, by the shedding of his blood, understand that atonement is found in no one else. And we confess his name. We have this gift of eternal life. We are then given this gift of God's spirit. And he comes and he dwells within us. God dwelling in his people. Tabernacling in us. Understand how powerful that little statement is that the church is the dwelling place of God. That we are the dwelling place of God. He's making his home in us. Why? Because we are in Christ by his spirit. And the spirit is the assurance of his presence with you. The spirit in Romans 8, we are told, testifies to our spirits that we are God's children. And if that testimony is not present in our life, then we need to doubt, really, are we saved? Because that's the mark of our salvation. The Spirit's life within us. The church is God's new dwelling. The dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. His divine resting place. He's making His home in His people. That's our primary identity. We are His. The church is first and foremost the living presence of the eternal God. What a glorious mystery. What a glorious sense of how do we comprehend and how do we appreciate all of that for who God has made us to be, to know his presence among us. Paul tries to fill it out for us in the rest of this passage. He starts to fill out what, is it, what does it mean that, that God makes his dwelling place among us. Go back up to verse 11 with me. If you go back up to verse 11, we read there that, remember that formerly you were Gentiles. And what does he say about you? And you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. What a... What a devastating description. <laughs> without hope, without God. This is who you were apart from Christ. Verse 13, but now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you hear? This is all language of approach and presence. We have access to the Father. We are invited to be near we invited to gather into his presence. It's really that sense to be invited near is to be brought into his hug, to be embraced by him, to be that close. 
to be near to him in the presence, to be near to him in the sense that, that we are gathered into his very heart together. And we are brought near by the blood of Christ, not because of who we are, but because we have been atoned for, because our sins have been forgiven. And this is the church to be with him. And why has he done this? Listen to what he says in the next paragraph that we read, right in the very middle of it. He says, his purpose. His purpose was this, to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. He, the two are bringing the Jew and Gentile alike. And we, I mean, we could spend a long time unpacking these couple of paragraphs. But the idea is that God had, a, had the nation of Israel, his covenant people, and he's bringing the Gentiles in by the gospel. And so within that, those two bodies, which covers all of mankind, he is bringing them all together to being one new humanity, making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. In the cross, God said, I'm going to bring you all together with me. And then he says, for through him, verse 18, for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Remember the tabernacle? The tabernacle, how did you access the presence of God? You came to the priest. With, and as you came to the priest with your offering, you would come to him and he would take your offering. And that was your access to the Father. But now he's saying, but now you have access. You are brought into the presence of God. Because he has reconciled you, Jew and Gentile alike reconciled. And consequently, he begins in verse 19. And really for today, here's the takeaway that I'm going to want to give you is out of these verses. And he uses some mixed metaphors here. But he says these three things. He says, and because of all this, consequently, because of God's reconciling us and that we have access and we are brought near... First is we belong. We belong and we are part of the building and for the sake of alliteration and we are bowing before him. That sense of we belong, we are the building and we are bowing before him. Look at with me at verses 19 and following. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. You belong. You have a place that God has said is yours. You're no longer foreigners and strangers. Two kind of, uh, we understand those words, but it really is significant words. A foreigner is someone who is culturally and linguistically set apart. If you come into a setting where you are into a brand new culture, and you don't understand the language, you are a foreigner, right? And I, I have not been in that situation much of my life. I've traveled very safely in my life. I've gone to places that speak English for the most part. But in those odd moments when I have found myself, I appreciate so much those of you that have, don't have English as your first language. And you have come and re reside among us here. And just how, the, how that makes you feel to feel like a foreigner, that, that you don't understand what's going on, or the culture is different. We do things differently. That's the description. And he's saying you're no longer a foreigner. 
You fit in God, with, you fit with God. You're not a foreigner in his culture and you know his language. That you are in God's presence and you belong there. Right? This is home for you. And the second word he says, and you're not a foreigner and you're not a stranger. A stranger is that person, the, the other word gets translated as an alien. You know, we talk about aliens that are among us. An alien is someone really who has no legal standing. Right? They, they have no legal rights. They're non-citizens. The only time I feel that is when I cross the border. Right? You go into the border in the States and you've got to come up to that border guard and they ask you those questions and I don't know why. I always panic. And they always seem to ask trick questions. Why are you going? And I, I oh, it's vacation. Are you going to work? Well, I might work because I, you know, I take some work with me. No, I'm getting paid. Oh, right. Yeah, no, I'm not going to get... <sighs> I'm surprised I don't get arrested every time. <laughs> right. Why do I react that way? Because I'm crossing into a place I have no legal standing. I have an issue or problem over there. And I, it's problems, right? It's that idea. And you are no longer an alien. You've been brought into God's presence. You've been brought into his kingdom. And you have legal standing there. What's your legal standing? You've been justified in Jesus Christ. You've been declared righteous in his presence. And God has welcomed you in. And you are brought into his very presence. Remember back up in verse 12, it says, You were without hope and without God in this world. <laughs> Now you have hope and you have God. That's what it is to be part of his people, of his church. You know, that separation that is so deeply felt by being a foreigner and an alien, you know, is, is wiped away. That's it. I haven't felt that much in my life. I tend to travel very safely. I appreciate it as Close has talked to me about the experience of the Karen people. Just this year, I learned about their New Year's celebrations. I don't know if you realize this. New Year's is a very important celebration to the Karen people. They, on January 2nd, because they couldn't do it on the 1st, because we were all here. January 2nd, they basically spent the whole day here at the church. And it was a celebration. And they worship together, and they play together, and they just, they had a great day together. Just about wore close day out. He told me he was here at 8 in the morning and left at 9 at night after the young people were playing in the gym here. He was exhausted, but why do they do it? Because New Year's, in our culture, you know, New Year's Eve can be a big thing. People celebrate that, but it's usually a family thing. And I, so this year I had, like, close say, why New Year's? Because it's really, in a sense, bigger than Christmas for them. So I said, why is that a big celebration? And it goes back into their history as a people. The Karen people moved into what was Burma. And this is many, many years ago, back in B.C. They moved down, and they were the people who ruled. But the Burmese moved in and conquered them. And they were subjugated to the Burmese people. They were held under them. And then the British came in, and the British conquered the Burmese. So now the Karen people were very low on the totem pole. You had the British, you had the Burmese, you had the Karen people. And the way it worked out was that the Karen people worked seven days a week. 
They had no holidays. They had no time off. And in the time of the British rule, there came a moment when the, the, the Karen people kind of got together and rose up and said, we want a holiday. And the British rule got together and they said, okay, what holiday do you want? And so they kind of looked at all the possible holidays and they said, okay, we'll take New Year's. Not because it was January 1st. January 1st really didn't mean anything to them culturally. But it was a holiday that they saw as one they could embrace. And so they took January 1st as their holiday. What's that signify to them? It was their day off. They had an identity as a people. Right? So it's a celebration for them because they're reminded that that's one thing that they have in their culture that's theirs. That's what God's saying here. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. You fit. You belong. You have a place with me. And look how he describes that place. He says, you have a place with me. You, you are brought into my household. Or first he says, you're citizens. Right, your citizens of uh, your your fellow citizens with God's people, your members of God's household. You have citizenship. You are invited to come and dwell in my kingdom, to be a part of my land. And you are no more than that. You are brought into my family. And there's a there's a nice progression here. You know, to to dwell in a land together, you kind of live beside other people. But he says you're more than that. You're part of my family. You're actually members of my household. We actually live in the same house together. And later on, he's going to say, and you are joined together. You are fitted together as a building. Here's where the metaphors get a little mixed. He says, you're all being built together. You're being shaped and formed as stones together. Peter picks up this theme even better in, in 1 Peter 2. There he says, as you come to him, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built in a spiritual house. As living stones, God is fitting you all together, fitting us all together. And he finishes that passage by saying, and you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Not only do you live in a land together, not only are you living in God's house, but you actually are becoming the house. You are stones that God is shaping and fitting together. How much more intense could your relationships get? We're going to walk into that a little bit more next week when we talk about our inwardness. Today we're thinking about this out, the, the upward sense of we are serving and we are part of God's special possession. Next week we want to think about what it is to be God's special possession as we dwell together, we become together. But that's who God has created us to be. That we are belonging. Isn't it great to belong? Isn't it wonderful to know that God has said, yeah, this is your place. And it's our prayer that you feel that way as you come to this local expression. That as you gather, you feel like, yeah, I fit. 
that in Christ I have a place here. And I mean that fitting sometimes takes a lot of work. There's rough edges that have got to be smoothed out and there's, there's ways we need to build and grow together. But you see, this is what God's made us to be. And so church, it's, it's who he says we are. We just need to figure out how we become what he has designed us to be. And then he goes into just this, this other idea that he says, consequently, you know, you're not, you're no longer foreigners, aliens, you're citizens, you're members of God's household, you're, the whole building's joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. This is the idea of building. You know, God has joined us together, he fits us together, why? To become this holy temple for God. What's the temple about? The temple is the place where you find God. What happens in the temple? Worship, sacrifice, prayer, offerings. It's the place of connecting with God. It's the place where God says, come and learn who I am. Come and be renewed in my presence. Come and understand sanctification. Come and understand how holiness is going to be built into you. Come and find a place of respite from the spiritual warfare. Come and learn how to fight the battles. That's what temple is. And we are part of this being built together and rising to become this holy temple in the Lord. And then he changes it just a little in that last sentence. And he says, you're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And I use the word bowing just so that we would have that little bit of alliteration you can go home with today. What's the church? It's a place for belonging. It's a place for building. It's a place for bowing. It's a place in which God dwells by his spirit. And as we come in worship together, we bow in his presence and say, Oh God, teach us. Oh God, revive us. Oh God, make us who you desire us to be. Angela, you and the team can come back up. As we wrap up today, it's that sense of bowing before our holy God that we want to continue to develop and think about in the days ahead. We're going to be calling you to prayer. Tim started that this morning. We kind of said just start in prayer. If you haven't started praying, pray for us as a church. Pray for where God is taking us. Pray for us in all those varieties of decisions that are going to have to be made. But would you pray as well just that God would revive us in these days? That God would grant us a fresh sense of his presence among us? That we would understand he has not left us. (laughs) He dwells with us and in us. And so we're going to call you to prayer. We'll have some heartbeats. We're going to have some Sunday morning opportunities. We'll take probably more time after some services to let you pray. I'd encourage you about the freedom session up at West Highland. A lot of people were in in the spiritual warfare series that we did, really thinking, God, there's things in my life that I think you need to do some work on. That'd be a place you could get working on it. Right? 20 weeks for you, but I'd encourage you go to the first week, find out what it's about, and then together we're going to work on some of those things. So be in prayer. 
might also that in prayer for us to learn how to listen to the spirit together for us to be aware of how God is speaking to our collective hearts and how we communicate how God is drawing us together and refining us to understand how he speaks and how he leads us and how he can teach us I think the last little encouragement this morning as we bow in the presence of the Father, let's understand that we are one with Him, that we are one together. And this is prime time for the enemy to do damage. It's prime time for the enemy to step in and kind of divide and separate. Can we commit in a real fresh way that we're going to be one before the Father together? It's so important for us to see how the church is the centerpiece of God's mission in this world. Jesus gave the mission of the gospel to the church. It was, it was plan A, but there, there's no plan B. There's kind of no fallback. We, we are the ones who will be the presence where God can be found. We are the ones who will share his gospel we are the ones who represent his love, his grace, and his truth. And we shouldn't be overwhelmed by that because it's all God's work. It's God. It's what he's doing in us. In some ways, we need to step back and get out of his way and let him do what he wants to do. Can we do that together over the next several months and weeks? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you have made the church to be. It's more glorious than I can put into words here this morning, but I pray that your spirit would just touch our hearts with the, how magnificent and majestic it is to be a part of your church. Thank you for this. Amen.